Chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. Of Catina Aria, Gospel of St. Luke, Part 2, by St. Thomas Aquinas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry out day and night unto him, though he bear it long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Theophylact, Our Lord, having spoken of the trials and dangers which were coming, adds immediately afterwards the remedy, namely constant and earnest prayer. Chrysostom, he who hath redeemed thee, has shown thee what he would have thee do. He would have thee be instant in prayer. He would have thee ponder in thy heart the blessings thou art praying for. He would have thee ask and receive what his goodness is longing to impart. He never refuses his blessings to them that pray, but rather stirs up men by his mercy not to faint in praying. Gladly accept the Lord's encouragement. Be willing to do what he commands, not to do what he forbids. Lastly, consider what a blessed privilege is granted thee, to talk with God in thy prayers, and make known to him all thy wants, while he, though not in words, yet by his mercy answers thee. For he despiseth not petitions, he tires not, but when thou art silent. Bede. We should say that he is always praying and faints not, who never fails to pray at the canonical hours. Or all things what the righteous man does, and says towards God, are to be counted as praying. Augustine, our Lord utters his parable, either for the sake of the comparison, as in the instance of the creditor, who, when forgiving his two debtors, all that they owed him, was most loved by him who owed him most, or on account of the contrast, from which he draws his conclusion. As, for example, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So also here, when he brings forward the case of the unjust judge. Theophylact, we may observe that a reverence towards man is a token of a greater degree of wickedness. For as many as fear not God, yet are restrained by their shame before men, are so far the less sinful. But when a man becomes reckless also of other men, the burden of his sins is greatly increased. It follows, and there was a widow in that city. Augustine, the widow may be said to resemble the church, which appears desolate until the Lord shall come, who now secretly watches over her. And in the following words, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me, etc., we are told the reason why the elect of God pray that they may be avenged, which we find also said of the martyrs in the revelations of St. John. 
though at the same time we are very plainly reminded to pray for our enemies and persecutors. This avenging of the righteous, then, we must understand to be that the wicked may perish, and they perish in two ways, either by conversion to righteousness or by punishment having lost the opportunity of conversion. Although if all men were converted to God, there would remain the devil still to be converted at the end of the world. And since the righteous are longing for this end to come, they are not unreasonably said to desire vengeance. Cyril, or else, whenever men inflict injury upon us, we must then think it a noble thing to be forgetful of the evil. But when they offend against the glory of God by taking up arms against the ministers of God's ordinance, we then approach God imploring his help and loudly rebuking them who impung his glory. Augustine, if then, with the most unjust judge, the perseverance of the supplicant at length prevailed even to the fulfillment of her desire, how much more confident ought they to feel who cease not to pray to God, the fountain of justice and mercy? And so it follows, and the Lord said, Hear what, etc. Theophylact, as if he said, If perseverance could melt a judge defiled with every sin, how much more shall our prayers incline to mercy, God, the Father of all mercies? But some have given a more subtle meaning to the parable, saying that the widow is a soul which has put off the old man, that is the devil, who is her adversary, because she approaches God, the righteous judge, who neither fears because he is God alone, nor regards man, for with God there is no respect of persons. Upon the widow then, or soul ever supplicating him against the devil, God shows mercy and is softened by her importunity. After having taught us that we must in the last days resort to prayer because of the dangers that are coming, our Lord adds, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Augustine, our Lord speaks this of perfect faith, which is seldom found on earth. See how full the church of God is. Were there no faith, who would enter it? Were there perfect faith, who would not move mountains? Bede, when the Almighty Creator shall appear in the form of the Son of Man, so scarce will the elect be, that not so much as the cries of the faithful, as the torpor of the others, will hasten the world's fall. Our Lord speaks then, as it were, doubtfully, not that he really is in doubt, but to reprove us, just as we sometimes, in the matter of certainty, might use the words of doubt, as, for instance, in chiding a servant. Remember, am I not thy master? Augustine, our Lord adds this to show that when faith fails, prayer dies. In order to pray, then, we must have faith, and that our faith fail not, we must pray. Faith pours forth prayer, and the pouring forth of the heart in prayer gives steadfastness to faith. Verses 9 through 14. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Augustine, since faith is not a gift of the proud, but of the humble, our Lord proceeds to add a parable concerning humility and against pride. Theophylact, pride also beyond all other passions disturbs the mind of men, and hence the very frequent warnings against it. It is moreover a contempt of God, for when a man ascribes the good he doeth to himself and not to God, what else is this but to deny God? For the sake then of those that so trusted in themselves that they will not ascribe the whole to God, and therefore despise others, he puts forth a parable, to show that righteousness, although it may bring man up to God, yet if he is clothed with pride, casts him down to hell. Greek Expositor To be diligent in prayer was the lesson taught by our Lord in the parable of the widow and the judge. He now instructs us how we should direct our prayers to him, in order that our prayers not be fruitless. The Pharisee was condemned because he prayed heedlessly. As it follows, the Pharisee stood and prayed with himself. Theophylact, it is said standing to denote his haughty temper, for his very posture betokens his extreme pride. Basil, he prayed with himself, that is, not with God. His sin of pride sent him back into himself. It follows, God, I thank thee. Augustine, his fault was not that he gave God thanks, but that he asked for nothing further. Because thou art full and aboundest, thou hast no need to say, Forgive us our debts. What then must be his guilt who impiously fights against grace, when he is condemned who proudly gives thanks? Let those hear who say, God has made me man, I made myself righteous. A worse and more hateful than the Pharisee, who proudly called himself righteous, yet gave thanks to God that he was so. Theophylact, observe the order of the Pharisee's prayer. He first speaks of that which he had not, and then of that which he had, as it follows, that I am not as other men are. Augustine, he might at least have said, as many men, for what does he mean by other men, but all besides himself? I am righteous, he says, the rest are sinners. Gregory, there are different shapes in which the pride of self-confident men present themselves, when they imagine that either the good in them is of themselves, or on believing it is given them from above, that they have received it for their own merits, or at any rate, when they boast that they have that which they have not. Or lastly, when despising others, they aim at appearing singular in possession of that which they have. And in this respect, the Pharisee awards to himself especially the merit of good works. Augustine, see how he derives from the publican near him a fresh occasion for pride. It follows, or even as this publican, as if he says, I stand alone, he is one of the others. Chrysostom, to despise the whole race of man was not enough for him. He must yet attack the publican. He would have sinned yet far less if he had spared the publican. But now, in one word, he both assails the absent and inflicts a wound upon him who was present. To give thanks is not to heap reproaches on others. When thou returnest thanks to God, let him be all in all to thee. Turn not thy thoughts to men, nor condemn thy neighbor. Basil, the difference between the proud man and the scorner 
is in the outward form alone. The one is engaged in reviling others. The other is presumptuously extolling himself. Chrysostom, he who rails at others, does not much harm both to himself and others. First, those who hear him are rendered worse. For if sinners, they are made glad in finding one as guilty as themselves. If righteous, they are exalted. Being led by the sins of others to think more highly of themselves. Secondly, the body of the church suffers. For those who hear him are not content to blame the guilty one, but to fasten the reproach also on the Christian religion. Thirdly, the glory of God is evil spoken of. For as our well-doing makes the name of God to be glorified, so our sins cause it to be blasphemed. Fourthly, the object of reproach is confounded because it becomes more reckless and immovable. Fifthly, the ruler is himself made liable to punishment for uttering things which are not seemly. Theophylact. It becomes us not only to shun evil, but also to do good. And so having said, I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust adulterers, he adds something by way of contrast. I fast twice in a week. They called the week the Sabbath, from the last day of rest. The Pharisees fasted upon the second and the fifth day. He therefore set fasting against the passion of adultery, for lust is born of luxury. But to the extortioners and usurists, he opposed the payment of the tithes. As it follows, I give tithes of all I possess. As if he says, so far am I from indulging in extortion or injuring, that I even give up what is my own. Gregory, so it was pride that laid bare to his wily enemies the citadel of his heart, which prayer and fasting had in vain kept closed. Of no use are all the other fornications, as long as there is one place which the enemy has left defenseless. Augustine, if you look into his words, you will find that he asked nothing of God. He goes up indeed to pray, but instead of asking God, praises himself, and even insults him that asked. The publican, on the other hand, driven by his stricken conscience afar off, is by his piety brought near. Theophylact, although reported to have stood, the publican yet differed from the Pharisee, both in his manner and his words, as well as in his having a contrite heart. For he feared to lift up his eyes to heaven, thinking unworthy of the heavenly vision those which had love to gaze upon and wander after earthly things. He also smote his breast, striking it as it were because of the evil thoughts, and moreover rousing it as if asleep. And thus he sought only that God would be reconciled to him, as it follows, saying, God be merciful. Chrysostom, he heard the words that I am not as the publican. He was not angry, but pricked to the heart. The one uncovered the wound, the other seeks for its remedy. Let no one then ever put forth so cold an excuse as I dare not. I am ashamed, I cannot open my mouth. The devils have that kind of fear. The devil would fain close against thee every door of access to God. Augustine, why then marvel ye whether God pardons, since he himself acknowledges it? The publican stood afar off, yet drew near to God, and the Lord was nigh unto him, and heard him. For the Lord is on high, yet hath he regard to the lowly. He lifted not so much as his eyes to heaven, that he might be looked upon. He looked not himself. Conscience weighed him down. Hope raised him up. He smote his own breast. He exacted judgment upon himself. 
Therefore did the Lord spare the penitent. Thou hast heard the accusation of the proud. Thou hast heard the confession of the accused. Hear now the sentence of the judge. Verily I say unto you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Chrysostom. This parable represents to us two chariots on the race course, each with two charioteers in it. In one of the chariots, it places righteousness with pride, in the other, sin and humility. You see the chariot of sin outstrip that of righteousness, not by its own strength, but by the excellence of humility combined with it. But the other is defeated not by righteousness, but by the weight and swelling of pride. For as humility, by its own elasticity, rises above the weight of pride, and leaping up reaches to God, so pride, by its great weight, easily depresses righteousness. Although, therefore, thou art earnest and constant in well-doing, yet thinkest thou mayest boast thyself. Thou art altogether devoid of the fruits of prayer. But thou that bearest a thousand loads of guilt on thy conscience, and only thinkest this thing of thyself, that thou art the lowest of all men, shalt gain much confidence before God. And he then goes on to assign the reason of his sentence. For every one who exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The word humility has various meanings. There is the humility of virtue, as a humble and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. There is also a humility arising from sorrows, as he has humbled my life upon the earth. There is a humility derived from sin, and the pride and insatiability of riches. For can anything be more low and debased than those who grovel in riches and power, and count them great things? Basil. In like manner it is possible to be honorably elated when your thoughts indeed are not lowly, but your mind by greatness of soul is lifted up towards virtue. This loftiness of mind is seen in a cheerfulness amid sorrow, or a kind of noble dauntlessness in trouble a contempt of earthly things, and a conversation in heaven. And this loftiness of mind seems to differ from the elevation which is engendered of pride, just as the stoutness of well-regulated body differs from the swelling of the flesh which proceeds from dropsy. Chrysostom, this inflation of pride can cast down, even from heaven, the man that taketh not warning. But humility can raise a man up from the lowest depth of guilt. The one saved the publican before the Pharisee, and brought the thief into paradise before the apostles. The other entered into the spiritual powers. But if humility, though added to sin, has made such rapid advances as to pass by pride united to righteousness, how much swifter will be its course when you add to it righteousness? It will stand by the judgment seat of God in the midst of the angels with great boldness. Moreover, if pride joined to righteousness had power to depress it, unto what a hell will it thrust men when added to sin? This I say not, that we should neglect righteousness, but that we should avoid pride. Theophylact. But should anyone perchance marvel that the Pharisee, for uttering a few words in his own praise, is condemned, while Job, though he poured forth many, is crowned, I answer that the Pharisee spoke these at the same time that he groundlessly accused others. But Job was compelled by an urgent necessity to
to enumerate his own virtues for the glory of God, that men might not fall away from the path of virtue. Bede, typically the Pharisee is the Jewish people, who boast of their ornaments because of the righteousness of the law, but the publican is the Gentiles, who being at a distance from God confess their sins, of whom the one for his pride returned humbled, the other for his contrition was thought worthy to draw near and be exalted. End of chapter 18, verses 1 through 14.